This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a joy to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. You may be watching for the first time, and let me encourage you to stay tuned today as we discuss a word that's found in the Bible the word is redemption. We own two other telecasts. We've discussed this word today. We want to conclude our study on the subject of redemption. Stay tuned. Now, we offer a free Bible correspondence course. We, we'd like for you to have this course so that you might know how to receive the course. Uh, we, we want to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm going to be reading now from the first chapter of Ephesians and verse number 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. I want you to think about that word redemption in that verse. Redemption. In Him, that is in Christ, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption. The word redemption or to be redeemed suggests the idea of being delivered from something, being set free, being rescued from something. And that from which Jesus Christ came to rescue us, to set us free, was our sins. When a ransom is demanded, there must be a price. There must be something that will pay for that deliverance. That's the ransom. We, we, we might watch a television program. Sometimes this happens in real life. That someone is abducted. And the abductor wants a certain amount of money paid for the release of the person who has been abducted, the abductee. And the money is the ransom for the release. And there was a ransom that had to be paid for our release from captivity in sin. We were being held captive by Satan. And the price that was paid for our release was the blood of Jesus Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood. And when we are redeemed from our sins through His blood, He next tells us that we obtain the forgiveness of sin. You see, when we appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ to our sins, those sins are then forgiven. In Colossians 1.13, 
And in verse 14, listen to what Paul writes. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His, the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. You see, in time past, we were in darkness. We were in Satan's kingdom. We were enslaved to Satan. But we've been delivered from darkness. And we've been conveyed or delivered into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And that's where, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we obtain the forgiveness of our sins. How do we forgive other people? How do we learn to forgive others? Well, I want to suggest that at least one way we learn how to forgive other people is to find out how God forgives and how God forgives us. Forgiveness is something that is very difficult for some people. Someone may offend an individual, and that person may go for the rest of their life having a grudge, feeling hard, having bitterness in their hearts. And life is too short. Eternity is too long. Heaven is too precious and hell is too hot for us to harbor hate and bitterness and unforgiving spirit in our heart. So the way we learn to forgive is to find out how God does it. So when God forgives us, how does He do it? I especially like some of the passages of the Scripture that tell us about the forgiveness of God, like Micah chapter 7 and verse 19, where the prophet says this is what God does with our sins. He casts them into the depths of the sea. Well, the sea is pretty deep, isn't it? He cast our sins into the deep, out of sight. Then I like Psalms 103 and verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our iniquities from us. In other words, they're separated from us. They're removed from us. And then what about Acts 3.19? Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Sometimes people illustrate that with blotting out uh, maybe an ink stain. But the only thing about blotting out an ink stain that some of that ink is still on the blotter. So how does God go out blotting out our sins? I, I read in one place that this goes back to the practice of writing on something like wax. And if you make a mistake on the wax where you're doing your writing on the wax, that you can rub it and completely blot out what you have written and start all over again. And so when God forgives us our sins, God just blots them out. They're, they're, they're not there any longer. It's not like an ink blotter where you've got some of the ink blotted on the blotter. The sin is gone and it's gone forever. He's removed the, the, that notation from his record and our record. That's the reason Romans 4 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. When God forgives us a sin, he doesn't remember it anymore. He doesn't hold it against us any longer. It's not put on our record any longer. And then there's Hebrews 8 and 12. This is how God forgives. I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness 
and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You see, when God forgives sin, He doesn't remember it any longer. When God forgives, He treats us as though we hadn't sinned. Now, is that the way we forgive other people? Not exactly. Uh, not exactly. I read about some people who had a quarrel and they, they agreed to forgive one another. One man said, I don't want it to take effect until the first of the month. Well, he may as well have just not even tried to pretend to forgive. See, when we forgive people, we forget about it. We don't hold it against them any longer. We treat them as though it had not ever happened before. That's, that's the way the father in Luke 15 treated his son that went off into the far country, wasted his substance in riotous living, and came back home. And when the father saw him coming down the road toward home, he ran, fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And the, and the son started to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and you're in your sight. And, and the father said, I want you to put a robe on him. I want, you to put a, I want you to put a ring on his head, put shoes on his feet, bring that fatted calf and kill it. We're going to make merry. You see, God is happy to forgive. And that father in Luke 15 treated that son as though he had never left home. Well, that's the way God forgives. You see, he's such a kind God. And to be forgiven is a great blessing. That's what David wrote in Psalms 32 and verse 1. Blessed is a man whose sin is for, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And there's only one element, there's only one thing that can cover our sins. A lot of people try to whitewash sin. A lot of people try to deny sin. A lot, a lot of people try to blame sin on someone else. But the only thing that can ever cover our sins is precious blood of Jesus Christ in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness comes through blood, Jesus' blood. And so, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And David knew about that firsthand, didn't he? Because David is a man who had sinned. And he asked God to cleanse him of his sin. In Isaiah, uh, rather Psalms 51 in verse 10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And earlier in that chapter, he said, Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me from my sin. David felt so unworthy and so guilty that he asked God to forgive him. God completely, totally, absolutely forgives our sins. I've often said he doesn't do a halfway job. When he forgives us, he completely forgives us. And he doesn't remember it any longer. Now let's think about what we have observed here so far. In whom? That's in Christ. In Christ. That's the first two words of Ephesians 1-7. In Christ. In Him. And that has to do with a state or a relationship we have with Christ. We are in Jesus. In whom we have redemption. That means we've been set free. And then through His blood, that's the ransom that was paid for our, for our being set free. And then we obtain forgiveness, and that's the goal to obtain. What we're after is forgiveness. Question, how do we obtain that goal? How do we reach that goal? I want to suggest that you'll not reach that goal unless you believe Jesus is the Son of the living God.
In John 1, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Those who believe on Jesus have the right, they have the power to become the sons of God. Of course, you can't become what you already are. They were not saved just because they believed. But you can't become a Christian. You cannot have the forgiveness of your sins unless you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the man in Acts chapter 8. He said, well, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? He said, if you believe, you can. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so they commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down into the water. Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. He was baptized. You can't have the forgiveness of your sins unless you're willing to repent of them. Well, why would God want to forgive my sins, sins that have offended Him, that have offended His Son, that have offended the Holy Spirit, maybe offended other people, and I'm not willing to, why would, he, why would I expect God to forgive me if I'm not willing to repent of those sins? God wants all men everywhere to repent. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. And then 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants the whole world to repent. Godless sorrow works with repentance unto salvation, but the sorrow of the world works death, 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. If you would ask some people, what about your sin? What about what you're doing? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry the policeman pulled me over. I'm sorry that I'm in jail for it. That's, God, that's not godless sorrow. That's worldly sorrow. And we must have a sorrow in our heart that we have violated the law of God, that we've broken the heart of God. We've broken the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we vow that we will get out of the sinning business. Jesus said you have to repent or it's perish. Luke 13 and verse 3. And God wants you to repent of those sins. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. You'll never be converted to Jesus. You'll never have your sins blotted out. Unless you're willing to repent of all of your sins. And then you must be willing to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be, the precious, divine, loving Son of the living God. Peter did. In Matthew 16 and 16, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then you must be baptized into Christ. Friend, I put you in Christ where salvation is found, where the blood is found. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, did put on Christ. Romans 6 and 3, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into His death, into Christ, were baptized into His death. Baptized into Christ, baptized into His death. Therefore we're buried with Him by baptism into death. That's verse 4. And so we're baptized, baptized into Christ. We're baptized into His death, into the benefits of His death. And it was in dying that Jesus shed His blood. And when we're baptized into Jesus Christ by faith, by faith, we come in contact with that blood that washes and cleanses us of sin. That's why in Colossians 2 and 12, Paul referred to it as the faith of the operation of God. 
buried with him in baptism, where also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. This is God's operation. This is God's business, where God is, is performing the circumcision of the heart and cutting off the sins of the heart. And we become a new creature in Jesus Christ. And when you're baptized, it puts you into the body of Christ. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And when you're baptized, you rise to walk in the newness of life. Now let's go back to our passage, Ephesians 1, 7. Let's review. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now look at the next phrase according to the riches of His grace. According to the riches of His grace. You know, people cannot save themselves. There's no man that's smart enough, wise enough, intelligent enough, rich enough to save himself. Jeremiah put it like this, O oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in himself. But a lot of people think that it is in themselves. They think that they are in control. They think that they are in control of everything. I think some people think they're the masters of the universe, but not so. Lord, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his steps. And I think Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 describes the way a lot of people are living their lives right now. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends there are the ways of death. It just seems to a lot of people that if they live a good life, if they, if they pay their taxes and they're good to their families and they're, they're good citizens of the land, that God owes them salvation. And some people think that God owes them everything. It may come, come as a shock to you, but God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you one single thing. Anything we have is according to the riches of His grace. And grace is unmerited favor. Grace is God giving us what we need rather than what we deserve. God, grace is God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves and we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves by our own power, by our own ingenuity, by our own thinking, by our own scheming. It takes redemption through the blood that results in the forgiveness of our sins. And all of that is according to the riches of God's grace. Folks, we don't deserve redemption. We do not deserve redemption, much less forgiveness. When David sinned in the Old Testament by, by taking a man's wife and, and, uh, and plotting to have that man killed, and David repented of his sins and he said, well then... He was told by Nathan, then your sin has been put away. I believe God forgave him. His forgiveness was contingent upon Jesus dying on the cross, according to Hebrews 9, verse 15. However, according to Jewish law, David deserved to die. Leviticus 20, verses and verse number 10. He and the woman both deserved death. 
But what God did, He gave him what he needed. He needed forgiveness. And God doesn't owe us anything. But you see, it's according to the riches of His grace. It's all a matter of God's grace. Absolutely. The grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. Then I think about Paul's statement in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Somebody says, now, Brother Lambert, what does that really mean in that verse, not of works? Does it, doesn't that mean that, that uh, baptism is not essential to your salvation because if you're baptized, wouldn't you be working out your own salvation? Well, let's just explore that for a moment. Is that what Paul meant when he said, not of works, lest any man should boast? Whatever the works are he's talking about are works that a person would boast about. And the person could say, look, I saved myself. Now, Isaiah 64 and verse 6 talks about works, works of a human nature that in God's sight are nothing more than just filthy rags. Just filthy rags. But what does it mean not of works? The fact is, there are different kinds of works that are mentioned in the Bible. For example, there are dead works mentioned in the Bible. James chapter 2 and verse 26 says, Faith apart from works is dead. Well, what kind of faith is it? It's a dead faith. It's a faith that is an inactive faith. It is a dead faith. And then there are works of darkness. Paul in Ephesians 5 verse 11 says, To not have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So there are works of darkness. We, we don't have any fellowship with those things. We don't associate with those kinds of things. Things that are in the realm of the evil. So there's a different kind of a work there. And then there are works of the Mosaic law. In uh, uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. That there Paul says, For as many as are, are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed, or cursed is every one who does not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Somebody says, what in the world does that mean? It just simply means that people could not be justified by the law of Moses, Acts 13, 39. And the reason they could not be justified by it, the reason that it was the, a, a curse is because it required perfection. Notice the verse again. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things written in the book of the law. That is, you had to keep it perfectly. The only person who ever lived on the face of this earth that kept the law of Moses perfectly was the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to fulfill the law, Matthew 5, 17. And he fulfilled it in that he lived by, the, he fulfilled the prophecies that were written in the law. But he also fulfilled it in that he lived by it as no other human being had ever been able to do. And he lived by it perfectly. And so there's a kind of work. Works of the Mosaic law. And then there are good works. The Bible talks about good works. 
Well, once we're born again, we're created in Christ Jesus under good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Good works. And you know, in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Good works. Well, somebody says, well, what do you think is a good work? Well, I think helping people that are hungry is a good work, don't you? I think being kind to people is a good work. Don't you, th don't you think that's a good work? I, I believe that, that helping children that, that, that are helpless is a good work, don't you? I, I believe being kind to your neighbor is a good work. Don't you believe that's a good work? I, I believe when the family's had a death and, and you, maybe you prepare, prepare food, you take it over that house uh, because uh, you, you want them to know that you feel with them. Isn't that a good work? If we started writing a list of all the good works, the list would be endless. There was a woman, Acts chapter 9, her name was, uh, was Dorcas, and she died. And the Bible says she was full of good works. Alms deeds, which she did. And the particular good work she was guilty of, uh, she was, that she left behind as a monument to her, were garments that she had made for women. So they're good works. And their faith is a work. Somebody said, now, Brother Lambert, you've got to be kidding me because... No, no, no. Faith can't be a work. In John 6, 29, the Bible says this is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He has sent. Faith is a work. And then there are works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And then they list those works of the flesh, and those that do those things will not inherit the kingdom. And then there are meritorious works. And that's the kind of works that it has reference to in Ephesians 2. Not of works. There is not one single thing that we could ever do to put God in debt to us so that God would owe us salvation. He doesn't owe us anything. And He saves us by redeeming us from our sins and giving us the forgiveness of our sins. And it, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, He adds us to the body of Christ. Well, it's a matter of God's grace. And if you're saved, you can just say, by the grace of God, I am what I am, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Before we close, let me give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also right now, pick up the telephone, call for the free Bible course, or if you prefer, you can take it online. But whatever you do, take it. Learn more about this thing called redemption in Christ. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.